Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Welcome in. Friday edition of PFTPM. It's Friday. It's Miles Simmons. It's Mike Florio. And it is. It's been a while since I've been able to say this. And I say this with a full and complete zest for life. It's another Friday closer to death. Hello, Miles. Hello, Mike. We are back. And yes, it is another Friday closer to death. How are you? I'm doing great, and I haven't done the math yet, but it's definitely more than one more Friday closer to death since the last time we did this on a Friday back in May. It is multiple Fridays closer to death, so we have even greater urgency than we otherwise would as we try to make the most out of the time that we have. Great to see you again this week. Great to see everybody out there, although we can't really see you. You get the point. We're going to get you ready for week two. And we got plenty of news to get to. We're here. We're here. Week two's already begun. We had a great Thursday night game. We're getting spoiled by these Thursday night games. Panthers-Texans next week may, may balance that out. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll worry about selling Panthers-Texans next week. For now, we're selling a much greater selection of prime cuts coming up for the weekend. And Sunday night, prime cut, Chiefs-Ravens. How about this, Miles? John Harbaugh asked today by reporters whether or not already week two of a 17-game season, the Ravens are facing a must-win. Let's have a listen. So basically, is it a must-win? To me, every win, every win is a must-win because I want to win every game just like all our players do. There's no loss here that's going to derail our season at this point. That's the Harbaugh way. They're competitive about everything. They were proud to have 20 oh, yeah. straight preseason wins. Although, Ugh. I have a feeling they would trade all 20 of those preseason wins to have emerged from Monday night with a win in a game that counts. And, hey, I got the same concern for the Ravens as I have for the Raiders. Short week, 65-minute-plus game, pack it up, fly east, and face a very good team. For the Raiders, they have to go to Pittsburgh. For the Ravens, they at least get to go home, but they got the Chiefs coming to town. This is a tough, tough game for the Ravens. This point, this time, they fall to 0-2. It's not over, but it's 0-2, and 0-2 in the AFC with all those great teams is not going to be good, especially if the Chiefs come out of this 2-0, if the Steelers come out of Sunday 2-0, if the Bengals come out of Sunday at Chicago 2-0. That's a hell of a hole that the Ravens have fallen into. Oh, well, yeah, and the Browns could be 1-1, one one, uh, very well 1-1 one one with a win over Houston on Sunday as well. Look, I, I agree with Harbaugh that, you know, everybody wants to win every game. In the NFL, there are only now 17, not 16 games. So you need to win every single one of them. Every single one of them has a sense of urgency. But like you're right. It, starting 0-2 is not totally going to derail their season. But when you think about the fact that they've had so many injuries for that Baltimore team, and then you have to come home and you're playing a very healthy Chiefs team. They don't really have anybody on the injury report. Everybody there is expected to play this week. Yeah, that makes this a pretty tough matchup for Baltimore. And look, it, it, Lamar Jackson has talked about how the Chiefs are basically their kryptonite, right? I mean, they have not defeated the Chiefs since Lamar Jackson became their starting quarterback. Patrick Mahomes, 3-0 and over the Ravens since he became the starting quarterback in 2018. And they've had these three head-to-head battles. So it's not like, you know, these teams are unfamiliar with each other. I think they both know how one is going to attack the other. But it's a still a really, really big game considering, A, what the stage is at Sunday Night Football. And if you're the Ravens, you're going after the two-time defending AFC champions in your conference. And you want to give them your best shot. 
Yeah, the Ravens are a measuring stick team, and they typically don't have measuring stick games. This is their regular season measuring stick game, the Chiefs, because they've been unable to beat them. They've yet to cross paths with them in the postseason the last three years. There's a sense that inevitably they will, and this Mahomes-Jackson rivalry isn't really a true rivalry unless they're getting together with the season on the line like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning did so many times. But this is the chance, and I thought it was funny this week, Miles, how Lamar Jackson tried to downplay the idea that it's him versus Patrick Mahomes, and then Sammy Watkins yesterday was like, yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson, and they know it, and we know it, and Lamar Jackson can downplay it all he wants, but it is Lamar versus Patrick, and that's what it will always be, even though they're never going to be on the field at the same time. No, of course. And I mean, that's the way this league works, right? We love quarterbacks. We have to talk about the quarterback play because the quarterback is the most important position that's on the field. And look, when you've got two guys that have both won an MVP award, that's obviously going to elevate the status and the stature of this matchup even more. So we know that quarterbacks love and really all athletes do this the great ones all do this you know you have to give yourself some sort of intrinsic motivation to go out there and compete at the highest level and some guys like to say oh well you know if you need any extra motivation to go up against xyz team then you know maybe you shouldn't be in this blah 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 but the great ones always seem to have something some little perceived or imperceived slight that they uh, you know go off of and then that's why they want to go out there and they want to do very well so I think it's going to be interesting to see what both Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson have for this game because last year for Mahomes it was the oh well Lamar Jackson was named number one on the top 100 and I was number four so what's it gonna be for Petty Met Patrick this year I don't know that that really bugs you and I like it I like that it, it bugs you, me. that it bugged him. Ah, oh, you've mentioned it twice no, this week. I know I have, but I no, it's not that it bugs me. I love it. I love it. I love how like petty that Patrick Mahomes is, but then he doesn't tell us how petty he is. He's always like, oh, I don't really know what that was. I was just counting to four, ah, la, la, la. Like, no, 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 no. I understand what you were doing there, sir. And I respect it. I love it. I think it's great. Tom Brady's the same way, and they don't recognize how much it humanizes them when they act like the rest of us do because we're all petty. Please be petty. It makes us feel better about our own pettiness when the people we put on a pedestal are every bit as petty as everyone else. All right. uh, Love fest in Philadelphia for quarterback Jalen Hurts. He had a great game to start the 2021 season. And it's a reset for him. He played some last year, but it's a new coaching staff. This is going to be the guy that we see this year based upon the Nick Sirianni offense with Shane Steichen there as the offensive coordinator. Nick Sirianni showing up for a press conference today with a Jalen Hurts-inspired T-shirt talking about the guy who so far is looking pretty damn good for the first-year head coach. Here's Sirianni. If someone sent me this shirt, I liked it and I put it on. So, no, it's just uh, supporting Jalen. Uh, that's kind of why I like to connect with those guys, you know, through the wearing their shirts and um, also just uh, supporting them. Letting, them. letting them know I believe in them. Well, and he definitely believes in him based upon the way that they used him last week. He had a swagger. He had a style. He had an effectiveness that maybe we weren't quite sure what to expect now. I was on WIP in Philadelphia just about an hour or so ago, and you know I'll say here what I said there. You never know how good that opponent is that you beat week one. you got to let it play out a few weeks so we can find out how bad the Falcons may be. They could be the worst team in the league. That, that win could mean nothing in the grand scheme of things. If the Falcons would beat the Buccaneers on Sunday, then all of a sudden you say, hey, that was a pretty impressive victory. But Hurts looked good. Check the boxes, Miles. And I like what Nick Sirianni is doing. He had a few press conferences that caused people to say, what's up with this guy? But I think more recently he's found his groove. And I think he's connected with his players. And bottom line is he's 1-0, and got a tough test this week against the 49ers. Do you think we're going to see more of the Jalen Hurts that we saw in Atlanta week one? Uh, no, because I think that Atlanta's really bad. But, you know, I don't think it's a terrible thing that Jalen Hurts got off to a really good start. I mean, you have three touchdowns, over 260 passing. He rushed for over 60 as well and only took one sack. And I think only taking one sack also 
is one of those things where you're like, all right, this guy has settled in and, you know, he can do something because so much of the problem with Carson Wentz last year was him taking untimely sacks and taking, frankly, just way too many sacks. So I think that he played very well last week. But like I said, I don't think Atlanta's very good. Um, and I think when you've got Nick Bosa on the other side of that line staring at you coming up this week, it's going to be a very different story uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And it is kind of amazing. And, and this is the significance of the difference between round one and round two. You got a couple of former Alabama quarterbacks into a Tonga Bailoa and Jalen Hurts. And it's kind of a given with Hurts that this is it. You prove yourself this year or the Eagles are going to find somebody else. With Tua, who's in kind of the same boat, it feels less fair to him because he was the fifth overall pick, that he should earn more chances even if he doesn't play well enough to be the long-term answer. But it's kind of a given in Philly. It's up or out for Hurts this year. And if he doesn't get it done, they're going to be in the mix maybe for a Deshaun Watson or to trade up to try to draft somebody else. They are constantly looking for that franchise quarterback. Hurts has a chance to prove it can be him. So far, so good but it's way too early to make any conclusions. If you lost this week in week one, you don't know how good the team is that beat you. Maybe it's the best team in the league that beat you and you're going to win the rest of your games. If you won, maybe you're not going to be able to win another game. Look at the Jaguars last year. They went from 1-0 to 1-15, and we still don't know how deep that hole is going to go for the Jaguars until they get their next win. I think, Miles, that the Eagles will play well on Sunday. It's almost like the Cowboys last Thursday night. They lose a close one, maybe cover the spread, and feel good about themselves, even though they're one and one. They feel like we can contend. If we can keep it interesting with the 49ers, we can beat the Giants. We can beat Washington. We can beat the Cowboys. They got a Monday night date coming up with the Cowboys in a few weeks. But we can compete in our division if we can keep it close with one of the elite teams in the conference. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think the Eagles are bad, bad. I don't really think, I don't know how good they are, but I think that they can definitely be competitive in the NFC East, which, I mean, frankly, is a very low bar based on what we saw last night between those two teams. Okay, so I, I feel like if you do play well against the 49ers, then yeah, there is some sense of a moral victory, which they're never going to say from Philadelphia, but I think that they can compete. I just don't think that they're going to win. And, and I really just feel like the 49ers right now can go and they can put anybody at running back. I mean, they've got no Raheem Mostert, which is unfortunate after he suffers the knee injury. And now he's going to be out for the rest of the season. But Mike, I mean, they've got another guy and Elijah Mitchell who just ran for a hundred yards. He's a six round pick. And it's basically like they can just put anybody in the Shanahan system and they can just get 100 yards if you're an athlete. I mean, I think you or I could probably get 50 yards behind a Shanahan offensive line. Oh, actually, you know what? I'm going to run in that. You can get 50. I can get 75. I have fewer years than you. Yes, yes. I, 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 I have less cartilage in my knees, so I'd be good for maybe five <laughs> yards. But that's about it. Five yards on 25 carries. Um, you mentioned earlier that the Ravens have had these issues with injuries and attrition, and it really is a war of attrition, especially with a 17-game season. You're going to have teams that hit these spots where they just lose guys, and you lose enough guys, you reach a critical mass, and it's going to affect you. The Cowboys are going through that early season attrition. Mm -hmm. Can they hold it together? Here's Jerry Jones on 105.3 The Fan earlier today talking about the chances of getting back Randy Gregory at a time when they already don't have Demarcus Lawrence for six to eight weeks with a broken foot. Gregory, their number two pass rusher on the COVID reserve list. Jerry, will he be back for Sunday's game against the Chargers? Is there any chance that Randy Gregory could play? I know the protocols get complicated, but do you think there's any chance he could play on Sunday, Sunday or is that ship sailed? Uh, you're down to the Nets' ass right now on whether or not it's close, on whether or not he'll be ready to play or not. We have to have some uh, negative tests uh, uh, just almost uh, uh, minutes, moments, hours away here to uh, uh, get in under the protocol. Down to the Nats' ass, a technical term as it relates to NFL teams. It's not an unusual saying for Jerry Jones. It's unusual for the rest of us. Look, I, I remember last week when at one point Mike McCarthy, and I think he probably regretted this, he made that comment, well, if anyone can generate those two negative tests 24 hours apart, it's Zach Martin. You can't will your way to a negative COVID test. It either happens or it doesn't. 
And that's what needs to happen for Randy Gregory. He's on the COVID-19 reserve list. He tested positive. He needs two negative tests at least 24 hours apart to be able to play on Sunday against the Chargers. And here are the Cowboys, two for two, one guy each week, a key player each week, unavailable due to COVID-19. We were lucky it didn't affect anyone else on Sunday or Monday, but the Cowboys now, for their second game, they may be without Gregory in addition to Demarcus Lawrence, and you look at that list, all the guys that they've lost, the issues that they've had. They still have Dak Prescott, but at a certain point, Dak Prescott may be all you have. Oh, right, but I mean, look, having D- Dak Prescott is still a hell of a weapon to have, right? I mean, we saw what it looked like for the Cowboys once he was out last year, and I, I just feel like as long as you've got that QB then you're going to have a decent chance. And really, I think Dak Prescott basically did everything he possibly could to try to win that game last week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's not his fault that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, and we've seen him time and time and time again go down the field and get a game-winning drive. So I I think this honestly is one of the sneaky good games of this weekend because the Chargers look pretty darn good against Washington last week. And everybody wants to talk about, oh, well, I mean, uh, the Chargers only scored X amount of points against Washington. If you watch that game, they really probably could have scored more points, but they were in their four-minute offense down to the wire there, and they got the ball back with about 6.36 minutes to go, and they didn't give it back. And I think that's a brilliant job of offense, basically what you had there with Joe Lombardi calling the plays and then Justin Herbert running the show from the field. So, look, this I think is going to be a good game. But look, when you're looking at the Cowboys, it's hard to say that they're going to be able to do what they really want to do if you keep losing guys like this. And it's just unfortunate because they should be the best team in the NFC East based on what we've seen from these first couple weeks. But I don't know if they're going to be now because of everybody that they keep losing. I'm very curious to see what happens when the players take the field Sunday at SoFi Stadium for the Chargers' first home game there with fans. Cowboys have all those fans in L.A., all those Mm -hmm. years of having training camp in Southern California. How many Cowboys fans are going to be there? Jalen Smith said yesterday he expects there to be a huge showing. And remember how it was at the soccer stadium where the Chargers played. The visiting team's fans overran that place every week. And there was a sense from the Chargers, well, it'll be better when we get to SoFi, there's a chance it's going to be worse because you double the capacity, you maintain the ratio of home team to visiting team fans, you're going to have a lot more visiting team fans. So that's going to be fascinating to me, Miles. Will the Chargers finally have a home field advantage or will they be the road team 17 games of the season with just nine of those games happening to be in the same place, even though they feel like they're not really welcome in their own home. The unfortunate thing is that the Cowboys very well may have more fans in Southern California, at least this aspect of Southern California uh, that I am sitting in right now, uh, than uh, the Chargers do, man. I mean, and that's funny. You brought up that soccer stadium. I I covered a Raiders-Chargers game there in 2019, and it was just overwhelming the amount of Raiders fans that were in the crowd. I mean, it truly was a Raiders home game, which makes sense. I mean, of all the teams that are here, I still feel feel like the Raiders have the most fans. And I'm saying that more than the Rams and more than the Chargers. So it's going to be interesting to see whether the Cowboys fans totally invade this thing and spoil the homecoming and the opening of that stadium uh, for the Chargers. Because the grand opening last week for the Rams, it's really good. I mean, I kind of thought that there were going to be a bunch of Bears fans in the crowd, but really it was an overwhelming Rams crowd there. And it got really, really loud uh, once the Rams were making good plays, when they were scoring, when Matthew Stafford was throwing those deep bombs. So it's going to be definitely very interesting to see how that turns out for the Chargers. Yeah, absolutely. And look, they have been better than we, I think, give them credit for. I know the record wasn't there last year, but they're on their way. And I hope it works out for them that they actually, you know, have some. But, hey, this is what happens when you abandon a market for 20 years as a league. What's going to happen is the people there will become fans of teams, and they'll pick any team they want. And when you have millions of people in the greater Los Angeles area 
when one of those teams comes to town, that's our chance to go see the Cowboys or the Steelers or the Vikings or the Packers. And there's going to be thousands of fans of every team, except maybe the Texans or the Panthers or I don't know. Some of them won't have a huge fan base, but even those teams will have fans there who will want to go to the game. So it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a challenge for both the Rams and the Chargers. All right, a challenge for the Dolphins on Sunday. A desperate Bills team coming to town, already desperate at 0-1. Got to win a game, get to 0-2, avoid that swing where the Dolphins are 2-0 and and the Bills are 0-2. Will Fuller coming off of suspension. Remember, he had that six-game PED suspension last year. Five games served in 2020, and my math skills allow me to say that one more game this year allows him to satisfy his debt to the league office for his PED violation. He's able to come back for this game against the Bills. Will he be back? Brian Flores, let's hear. He will not practice today, um, and he he will not play on Sunday. He's dealing with a uh, personal issue. I've had multiple conversations with him um, last couple of days. He's, he's definitely dealing with a personal issue. Um, I respect his privacy. I, I mean, I ask that you know everyone respects his privacy. Um, we support Will, and uh, you know, we'll take it one day at a time. And look, I, I appreciate the fact that Brian Flores is sensitive to Will Fuller's privacy, but the bottom line is he's not going to be playing. And that's a guy that really could open up the offense, give Tua Tonga Vailoa not just a downfield weapon, but when you have that downfield guy that needs to be accounted for, it pulls the defense and opens up all the other stuff that's available to a quarterback. So this is going to be a challenge for the Dolphins no matter what. It would have been so much better for the Dolphins if the Bills had won last week, but now the Bills are on notice. They are on guard, and they are going to be on their toes to try to get this win and get to one and one. This is not going to be an easy game. It wasn't going to be easy with Will Fuller. It's going to be even a little more difficult without him, Miles. Well, yeah, and the last time the, the Bills and the Dolphins played, it was week 17 last year, and the Bills absolutely blasted them. And that was a game that the Bills didn't even necessarily really need. They ended up putting a 50-burger on Miami's defense. So I, I think that, like, look, they're going to want – to come out here and really show that last week is not who they are. And when you're playing the Pittsburgh defense, anything can happen. And that team has been so good and so consistent for so long. But, you know, now you're going to a division rival. You have to go on the road. And players I used to cover, you know, they've always talked about how if you go on the road, especially early in the season, and you get a game from a division rival, it's almost like stealing two. When you, because you get that game not only for yourself, but then you're putting your division rival further back in the standings as well. So I I think the Bills certainly want to get to one and one this week, and they're going to have a good chance to do it. I mean, they're pretty healthy. You know, Gabriel Davis, he's questionable. Sarlatula is questionable. But other than that, they look like they're going to be pretty good in terms of their health. And I think Josh Allen also wants to put that game that he had last week behind him. Yeah, that two-game swing from beating a division rival or losing to a division rival, that can resonate, and every team has to deal with six of those games every single season. The Green Bay Packers on Monday night dealing with a division rival, but the bigger issue for them is can they snap out of whatever funk they were in on Sunday against the Saints? We believe they will. We've seen enough. I've seen enough from the Packers the past few years to know that that they'll get right. And if they're going to get right about against anybody, it's going to be the Detroit Lions for crying out loud. Well, they're going to have to do it without linebacker Zadarius Smith. There had been that issue with his back in training camp. He was cleared. He was good to go. He had that controversial hit where he did not commit roughing the passer on Jameis Winston. He just happened to hit Jameis Winston too hard. And in today's NFL, if you hit somebody really hard, it must have been a foul, even if it wasn't. Here's Matt LaFleur talking about Zadarius Smith not being available for the foreseeable future to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, no, Z's not going to be out there. Unfortunately, we're going to have to shut him down for a while. So, um, you know, it was. it's a matter of just... Do you keep them in a limited role or do you shut them down for a while, try to get them healthy and then get them up to the snap count that we'd, we'd like them to be just like he's been in the past because he's such a such an impact player. So it's just the route that we thought was best long term. You know, he had 
concerns about his contract. And I love it when the Packers fans – and I, 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 I've learned this oh, after 20 years, Miles. When you say out loud, if you're not a member, card-carrying member of the fan base in question, and you say out loud – one of the things they're worried about privately, they get very upset with you. Zadarius mm-hmm. Smith was not happy with his contract. They they did a little something right at the start of training camp because what happened was, and I don't want to get too technical with this, they converted most of his salary to a signing bonus, but he wasn't going to get any of the money until the season began, and most of it was going to come to him in the form of weekly game checks, not a big chunk of money up front. He wasn't happy about that, and he also wasn't happy that they exercised their right to do it, creating a bloated cap number next year, which means – Unless he signs a new contract between now and then, he's getting cut. His cap number's too big. So even with the revision that was made at the outset of camp, he's still not happy with the fact that this is his last year with the Packers. He has no security beyond this season. I don't know how much of that is factoring into this, but it is something that we need to be sensitive to. For the same reason that Aaron Rodgers has no security beyond this year, Zadarius Smith has no security beyond this year, and he plays a position that entails a much greater risk of injury than Aaron Rodgers does. And I don't know how much of that's a factor in this, but I think Smith realizes that come March, he's going to be on the open market. And if he suffers any type of injury, chronic nagging, significant, acute, whatever, his marketability is going to drop. And and that could be a factor for him now that the season is rolling. Yeah, it could be. I mean, and the other part of it, too, is, look, he played 18 snaps against the Saints last week, and he only had one tackle. And I think whenever you're so impacted by especially a back injury as a pass rusher, you can only be so effective in the limited snaps that you're taking, right? Because if your back hurts, basically everything is wrong with you. And I think anybody who's ever experienced back pain can certainly say that that's true. So look, they're going to, the Packers are going to have to do something in order to make up for the production. I mean, you're talking about a guy that has double digit sacks over the last couple of years since he's been with Green Bay. It's obviously extremely productive. But now when you're talking about the Packers, at least they are playing the Lions, and I don't know that anybody really expects Lions to be all that great this year. They did show something, I thought, last week against the 49ers when you go down big early, but then you start mounting a little bit of a comeback, maybe get some good vibes for yourself coming into week two. But I, I think the weird thing about the Packers is, at least under Matt LaFleur, they seem to be good for a clunker or two per season but they've still gone 13 and three the last couple of years. So I think we can all R E L a X. If you are thinking about the Packers and if they're still going to be good this year, the difference is the clunker came week one and to hear Aaron Rodgers say they were lacking in energy. How could you be lacking in energy when you are playing the saints? One of the best teams in the conference, one of the best teams in the league. It's the first game of the season. If you don't have energy week one, when else are you not going to have energy? And Sims and I talked about this on PFT Live. They need a guy or two on each side of the ball who has so much natural energy that his mere presence causes those around him. And we know people like that, people who are just so naturally energetic then it rubs off. You feel like you have yeah. to try to match it. And and we know Aaron Rodgers isn't that guy. Maybe they need guys like that. Maybe this is one of the overlooked factors of roster construction for Brian Gutekunst to not have guys in the locker room who get everyone else going. Otherwise, you don't have a lack of energy week one of the regular season. That's true. We all do know somebody like that. You know, the guy you want around on Friday night where it's like, man, we don't even really have to do much of anything. This guy's walked in the room. Now we're all ready to party. I love that guy, right? So I think that you're right. They probably do need somebody like that. But until they find that guy, then you've got to be able to muster up some sort of energy. And whether it is just the knowledge of going into this season like, oh, man, it's the last dance, which Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and I guess Zadarius Smith probably all kind of bought into to a little bit, but maybe it was just the weird circumstances of that game, right? You're not going to New Orleans as you thought you were. You're playing in kind of a half-full Jacksonville stadium. It's hot. You know, you're you're doing things against a, a team that has a new quarterback, and it just seemed like things started to snowball toward the end of that game where it's just like, ugh, you know, whatever this is. And then, of course, you get Jordan Love in there, and that's like throwing up the white flag. So I don't know exactly what they need, but 
Frankly, if you get the Lions and you're at home and you can have a completely full Lambeau field, if you can't get up for that, man, I, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, I agree with you. We all know that guy who shows up on a Friday night and everybody knows it's time to party. And then one of us walk into the room and say, hey, by the way, it's another Friday closer to death. <laughs> and there goes the vibe. That's you, man. Just like that. That's you. That's Just like me. that. All right. <laughs> We're another 30 minutes closer to death. Let's take a break when we return. A little buy or sell on this Friday edition of PFTPM. We'll be right back if we survive. Taylor Heineke, obviously, it was kind of a roller coaster there, uh, yep. but he came through when he, when he needed to in that final drive. What can you say about his overall performance and, and kind, of, kind of the guttiness that, that he showed out there? Well, that's exactly how he played. It was very gutty. You know, Scott, the thing that was real impressive about him was the way he bounced back after the, the turnover. You know, um, prior to that, you know, he went down in, in, what, three plays and scored a touchdown, and then we turned around and, and we were trying to kill the clock. Uh, and, uh, you know, he made a bad read, made a bad decision. He should have put the ball in the back's hands, uh, going to the flat instead of trying to throw the curl and uh you know james bradbury made a heck of a play and uh but you know getting that opportunity he stepped up again ron rivera washington football team head coach talking about taylor heineke's performance after the game heineke joined the nfl network on field desk and said he has earned the privilege of being the starting quarterback for the balance of the year so buy or sell taylor heineke has proved miles that he should start for the rest of the season. Sell. In what world? Come on. You don't, you don't get to throw an interception in, the four, in a four-minute offensive situation and say, yeah, I, I mean, I, although what else is he supposed to say? I don't know. But, like, come on. Like, absolutely not. We're asking me the question? No, no, no. Just no. I don't know. I just I watched those quarterbacks last night, and, oh, my goodness. I just still up a lot to be desired. And this, that, no. Just no, no. I think there's a way that he could thread that needle without saying I should be the starter the rest of the year. Look, I'm going to play as long as they want me to play. I'm going to play as long as they need me to play. And if and when Ryan Fitzpatrick is healthy, I'm playing at a level where the team decides to keep me on the field, then I'll I'll defer to whatever decision the coach has made. I, I think it does seem a little presumptuous and a little bit kooky, frankly, for him to think he's earned the job from now until week 17 or week 18, as the case may be. But when you have a guy like Chase Young, telling the world that Taylor Heineke could start for any other team in the league. Any other? No, maybe, maybe I still couldn't find the one that he could start for, but uh, I know he can't start for every other team in the league. Here's the reality for Heineke. He hasn't played enough for defenses to have enough film to effectively game plan against him. Once they have four, five, six full games of tape, then they start with a more strategic, here's what he likes to do, we need to take that away. Watch this formation. Here's what he does. Here's which way he rolls out of that set. Here's which way he rolls out of this set. Look at how he goes through his progression. Look at what he does with the ball. All of those things become part of that body of film study where you try to crack a code on a guy and throw things at him that will rattle him. He's still several weeks away from that happening. So if he keeps playing well, hey, the the days of players at any position not losing their jobs due to injury are over. If the replacement comes in and does well, he's going to stay until he doesn't do well. And that's just the way it is. So, look, Heineke played well enough to win. They easily could have lost. The Giants lost that game more than Washington won it. So let's just give it a week at a time and see what they do next time around. All right. How about Sammy Watkins talking about the Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes rivalry? We mentioned this earlier. Let's have a listen to Watkins as he talks about whether or not there really is something going on here with Mahomes versus Jackson. We make a big deal out of Lamar versus Mahomes. You know those both those guys. How do you feel? Like do they view it that way? And what are their thoughts on that kind of semi rivalry? Call that. Um, I think those guys definitely view it that way. Um, you can say you you not, but the world is watching two of the best, youngest MVPs in the league, and um, very talented guys. So I'm definitely looking at it that way. Like man, Lamar need to win. Um, 
you know, he's been doing a great job in this league with just how he's been carrying himself as a teammate and as a, a guy that just do the right things off the field. So I just think, um, you know, he, it's time for him to take that next hump and, and try to get a win. Um, and I'm, I'm, I hope this team and we prepare and the coach prepare to do our best to try to, um, you know, will a win for the organization and, and him. And him. Not going to be easy to do, but uh, are we buying or selling the notion that Mahomes versus Jackson is the best current quarterback rivalry? And if not, which one is? You know, it's interesting, Mike, because there have been so many quarterbacks who have just moved around the league in the last year or two. I mean, you've got guys that have retired. You've got guys that have moved to different teams. It's kind of hard to say that there's any real quarterback rivalries right now in the league. I mean, would you say like Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson? Because they're almost two of the longer tenured quarterbacks that we've got right now. I I mean, there just aren't that many. Jackson, Lamar Jackson and Ben Roethlisberger would be another that I guess I would nominate just because they play in the same division. And we know that those two teams are bitter rivals as well. But it just there aren't that many good quarterback rivalries yet. But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, can it be a rivalry until the other guy wins? Because Patrick Mahomes is 3-0 and against Lamar Jackson. And, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of think of it like Ohio State and Michigan right now. You know, that's not really a real rivalry anymore because Ohio State just wins every year, which as an Ohio native, I'm perfectly okay with. But, like, can we still call it a rivalry? I don't know. Well, and we can't call it a rivalry, as we said earlier, until they meet in the postseason. That hasn't happened right. yet. They haven't met at a time when the stakes are the absolute highest. Look, I think the best quarterback rivalry right now, even though they're not going to play this season, is Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Because we saw what a great game it was between the two of them in the NFC Championship, how Rodgers tried to lead the Packers back to victory. And we hope, I think, unless you're you know, an ardent fan of the Saints or the Rams or another team that would get bumped out in the process— I would like to see Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady again in the postseason. They won't meet in the regular season, unfortunately. But uh, speaking of Tom Brady, here he is on the possibility of playing until the age of 50. Can Tom Brady play until 50 years old? Wow. Seems to be a really hot question lately. Can Tom Brady play till 50? Like, 50 years old. Yeah. 50. 50. You're 44. That's six more years. I think, I mean, I don't find it so difficult. And plus, in the Florida, it's kind of a retiree state. So I feel like I can play and then just glide into retirement. I think I can. I think it's a yes. I don't know why he was confused about the prospect of playing until 50. What, what else would it be? He didn't know what they meant. I think they're trying to be funny, and as yes, we, they are. As on, as we have not, learned, Mike? as we hey. have learned, com- comedy is hard. Miles, I've learned oh, the hard I'm, way. Comedy. is I'm hard. I'm certainly no comedian. Yeah. Are we buying or selling Tom Brady playing to the age of fifty? I'm I'm gonna sell it, but I'm not gonna sell it because of his ability. I'm gonna sell it because Giselle's gonna finally be like, dude, I've had enough of you being gone every single fall. I come home and, you know, be my husband and be a father to our children a little bit more, man. I, I think that I, because, look, there's no reason to think that he can't. I, I just every single time he just seems to continue to perform. And I don't know when it's going to fall off a cliff. We all know that when it falls off, it seems to fall off quickly. But I, I do expect him to win another Super Bowl before he retires. I'm buying he's playing until 50. I oh, am. boy. Because the arm is going to be there into his 50s. He has figured out how to avoid contact. You avoid contact, you avoid injury. He'll do that, get rid of the ball, and curl up like an armadillo to avoid getting hit. And I don't blame him for it. you got to be available for the next snap. But I think he can pull it off. I think he can. And I think that moving to Tampa has been the thing that has reduced the pressure from within the family for him to stop playing. I think they love it in Tampa. He's found the right balance. And he's doing something unprecedented. And and I don't think it's going to be repeated. I don't think we're going to have this crop of young guys playing into their mid to late 40s. He was asked yesterday what advice he would have to young quarterbacks who would like to have a long career in the NFL. And his first two words were, good luck. Good luck, indeed. Let's take a break. When we return, what we can't wait to see in week two of the 2021 NFL season. We'll do that next here on PFTPN. 
Jersey, you ran behind Alex Leatherwood for some time. You have a scouting report on him for TJ? For, for TJ? You're good luck, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's Najee Harris with the scouting report on TJ Watt, the advice. Expletive deleted. Good luck trying to stop TJ Watt, who has shown no negative effects of missing all of training camp in the preseason and just practicing the last week or so. All right, week two is here. What can't we wait to see come Sunday? Miles, you go first. Oh, we keep talking about it, and now it's every segment. But Patrick Mahomes, oh, my goodness. And there I flubbed the delivery. Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson. I guess I tried to make them one person. Look, I, I just feel like this is going to be a very good game. It's on Sunday night football. It's a marquee matchup. You've got the Chiefs who have everybody healthy. And what's interesting, I guess, like, thinking about the, the Packers and the lack of energy they had, like, the Chiefs were able to sort of find their energy going into the second half and then just kind of overwhelmed the Browns after they went down 22 to 10 going into halftime. So they have the ability to turn it on at any point. Who knows if they're going to get down to Baltimore, but I think we're going to see a very motivated Patrick Mahomes going into Baltimore. And we're also going to see a motivated defense with you got somebody like Frank Clark who didn't play last week. He's going to go up against an offensive line that struggled a little bit last week. Doesn't seem like they're going to have Ronnie Stanley this week. Villanueva is going to go over and play left tackle. That may not work out very well for Baltimore. So I'm just really looking forward to this matchup. I really do hope these two guys cross paths in the postseason at some point. But this does not set up well for the Ravens after what happened on Monday night. The grueling game, the long trip, the loss, the injuries, the issues. But, yes, that should be a great, great game. Happens to be on NBC Sunday Night Football. I want to see if Jameis Winston can do it again. Not necessarily five touchdown passes, but run the offense, run it effectively, not make mistakes, not try to do too much as Sean Payton guides him into game two as the starter of the Saints and they go to Carolina. One of the things Winston liked this week was the opportunity to work directly with Sean Payton on an extended basis because so many of the offensive coaches are unavailable due to COVID. And they released the list today. A bunch of guys not available for this weekend. But Sean Payton's there. Jameis Winston's there. And, Miles, I've been saying this all week, too. That Bill Parcells streak that Sean Payton has, I'm sure he's said to Jameis Winston a time or two, we're playing a team this week that found a new quarterback each of the last two seasons, and they never looked your way once. What are you going to do about that, Jameis, when Mm. you take on the Panthers? Ooh, I like that, especially as it's a division rival, too. So it's not like Carolina didn't have any information on Jameis Winston, right? I mean, this is a guy that threw for 5,000 yards a couple years ago. Even if he did throw for 30 interceptions, not many people had thrown for 5,000 yards in a season. So, I mean, I like to see him in what he can do and see if he can still limit those turnovers, not turn the ball over again as well. Uh, Next thing I'm looking forward to seeing, though, is Aaron Donald versus Quentin Nelson. This is just the kind of matchup in the trenches that we really don't get to see very often. I mean, A, because these two guys play in different conferences, but B, when you're getting two of the best at their position and they actually go head to head right like especially on the interior of the offensive and defensive line like who really cares about that but like look Quentin Nelson is one of the best guards in the league arguably the best guard in the league he mauls people all the time Aaron Donald makes everybody he plays look silly even the best in the game so I want to see what this matchup turns into because Aaron Donald missed a sack last week. He turned around Andy Dalton and then Hollins had to come in there and finish that thing up. He talked about this week about the fact that he's changed his gloves. He's been working on his grip to make sure that doesn't happen again. want to see him get after Carson Wentz, but to get there, it's going to have to get through Quentin Nelson. That should be a fun watch. Hey, one of the issues with those gloves, and Chris Sims has raised this concern, if you wear the tackified gloves, the receiver gloves, sometimes you can't get off of an offensive lineman in time to protect yourself against an injury, so that's something to be concerned about. Next one for me, can the Minnesota Vikings contain Kyler Murray? Traditionally, Mike Zimmer has put together game plans that bottle up Russell Wilson. Not that it's helped the Vikings win many games against the Seahawks, but he doesn't tear them apart. Kyler Murray, based on what we saw last Sunday, he's going to tear anybody apart. And the Vikings defense was not impressive against the Cincinnati Bengals. The offense wasn't impressive. This is setting up to be another loss for the Vikings, who have the Seahawks next week, the Browns after that. They could be 0-4 
through the first four games. Last year, they weren't even 0-4, and they had a dreadful start. So whether or to what extent the Vikings can avoid falling to 0-2 is going to hinge on whether or not they have a plan for containing Kyler Murray. And frankly, Miles, I don't think anybody could come up with a plan for stopping this guy if he's healthy. Well, look, I think we got to think about the fact that he was going against the Titans defense last week, and the Titans defense was not very good last year. It was over 50% of third downs, and it didn't necessarily matter what down it was last week for what Kyler Murray was doing. But also, that defense of the Cardinals, man, I mean, Chandler Jones getting five sacks last week, that thing could be really interesting um, for them. But my, my next thing, I'd say, are the Raiders going to lay an egg? Because it seems like, you know, sometimes under John Gruden, they get big wins, they play big games, and then they go to the next one and they just lay a complete egg. Like last year, they played the Kansas City Chiefs so tight. They were so close to beating them on Sunday night football. They go to Atlanta the next week and they just lulu down themselves. I mean, they played awful in that game and they lost to the Falcons. That's a team that had fired their coach, I believe, at that point. So can they do the same? Can they or will they not do the same, I guess I should say, going up to Pittsburgh, have to fly across the country. You're talking about this with the Ravens, right? It's going to be a tough task, especially because now you know that Josh Jacobs isn't going to play. He's out with the toe injury, right? So he didn't practice all week either. So they're going to rely apparently on Peyton Barber to carry the rock a lot. Also have Kenny Andre who may take some carries, but John Gruden said they're excited about Peyton Barber. We'll see what exactly that means, but going to Pittsburgh against the team we've already talked about with TJ Watt. Yeah. Good luck. It's going to be tough trying to stop that guy. Raiders somehow five and two, the last seven games against the Steelers, because for the bulk of those games, Raiders, not good. Steelers, good. Uh, Bears fans not happy with the fact that Justin Fields isn't the starter. I can't wait to see how they receive the Bears, how they react to Andy Dalton, and at what point the the noise will be deafening, whether it's boos or other expressions of disapproval by the Bears fans. I feel bad for Andy Dalton, but uh, he probably wishes this game was being played in Cincinnati, not in Chicago. He probably wishes at this point that every game would be played on the road this year because of the way the Bears fans are jostling for Justin Fields. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM by cracking open the mailbag. We'll do that right after this. How do you get to endorse a product that that most people don't think you would do? (laughs) I mean, it's a sandwich, so I've always felt that way. I ate a lot of Subway in college. Um, I kind of lived on Subway sandwiches in college. We used to have these little chit cards that we would, you know, the coach would give them to us when we didn't have training tables. So it was good when my buddies worked there because we got a little extra, you know, extra meat on there. And it was a, uh, it was pretty cool. So kind of part of my, uh, part of my past and part of my future. Hopefully people like the advertising. I wonder what he means by part of his future. Does it mean he's going to actually eat Subway again when he's no longer playing in the NFL? Or does it mean the future deposits to his bank account? by the deal that he did. And look, I don't, I don't want to be a downer here, but I don't understand it. The guy's got you more money than he's downer? ever going to be able to spend. Can I finish? He's got more money than he's ever going to be able to spend, even if he tries, Miles. Why are you doing a deal for a product that you would not use, that you would not endorse? I've got his book, TB12 Method. He tells people, don't eat that stuff. But please eat that stuff because they're paying me to tell you to eat that stuff. All right, mailbag time. Important question. Very important question. The most important question that I've been asked this week by Dr. J144. Would you rather have Mark Davis cut your hair or Ben McAdoo pick your suit for Sunday Night Football? Miles, what would be your preference? Mark Davis with the scissors or Ben McAdoo with the haberdashery? Well, I mean, Ben McAdoo would... He might pick out a decent color. I mean, he... If he picks out the suit, can I still go get the suit tailored? Because, I mean, if he looks <laughs> oh, like God, that. Oh, God, there it is. I mean, the <laughs> Same as it ever it's was. Not, yeah, it's not Same the worst looking it clothes. Was. It's just that, you know, it doesn't look like it fits. So I wouldn't want Mark Davis anywhere near my hair, but I also cut my own hair, and maybe I shouldn't do that or shouldn't admit it. I don't know. But, nah, I don't think I've answered the question, but whatever. This one's easy for me, and I'm going to be hyper-technical here. Unless Mark Davis cuts his own hair, I'll take my chances with Davis cutting 
mine. There is a chance he does cut his own hair, though, based upon the appearance of it. I'd rather let him cut my hair than have Ben McAdoo say this is the suit you're going to wear because, yeah, Ben McAdoo. He just looks like the kid who raided his dad's closet. Uh, That'll never, ever, ever, ever get old. All right, On Tour Forever wants to know, does Joe Judge, the successor to giant suit Ben McAdoo, have the hottest of the coaching hot seats now? And if not, who would that be? Is Joe Judge, in your opinion, on the hottest seat right now, Miles? Uh, no, and it's interesting because if you, he'd asked that same question about the general manager, Dave Gettleman, I would have said yes. Because, I mean, what has Dave Gettleman done to really get the Giants in position to win? It doesn't seem like Joe Judge is all that terrible of a coach, but I think that the roster that they have put together, starting with the QB, may not necessarily be right. So, uh, GM, yes. Head coach, no. Yeah, you know, I agree with you there. And, by the way, Pat Shermer was in between Ben McAdoo and uh, Uh, Joe Judge. But I think they like Joe Judge. I think they keep Joe Judge. I think Dave Gettleman is the one who would be in trouble. Charlie Drysdale was Teddy Bridgewater's week one game, a turning point for him and his early success sustainable over the course of the season. It was one of the best games of his career. I thought it was impressive to go to New York and win the game. They made New York look like a bad team. I think they've made the right choice. Can he stay healthy? Can they stay ahead of defenses? Can they be creative with Pat Shermer running the show? I like where Teddy is, and I, 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 uh, I've always had a soft spot ever since he had that horrific knee injury and didn't get the chance to fulfill what he could be. He now is five years later, and I think it's awesome, Miles. Yeah, look, Von Miller said some really complimentary things to say about Teddy Bridgewater and the feeling that he got with Teddy Bridgewater in there. I think he said that it was basically like how he felt with Peyton Manning, and he hasn't necessarily had that feeling since. So that's good, but I think I need to see a quarter of the season with Teddy Bridgewater in order to really think, all right, he's on the right track. We really can think that, yes, he is not just the present, but also the quarterback of the future for the Denver Broncos. Well, and it gets back to what we said about Jalen Hurts earlier in the show. You need to have a certain number of games with Teddy in this offense. Defenses will have a chance to attack. We'll see how it goes. Enjoy the games this weekend. See you Monday morning for PFT Live. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.